Hello and welcome to the Ratio Podcast. I'm your host, Johnny Ray, and I'm here with my co-host, Mr. Jack Slayton. Hello. No good evening, nothing like that. Come on now. Good evening to everybody out there. I'm not sure what time of day it is. (laughs) I'm not either, man. But I do know one thing. We are here for an extra special episode. They're all special, but this has been a cat we've wanted on since the inception of this podcast. And I'm talking about Mr. Eric Bloom of the mighty Blue Oyster Cult. Um, Jack. Uh, just back me up here. There's th- the story of the journey to this interview is is just one we need to get down on paper sometime or or well, it's a big deal for the both of us. I mean, Johnny and I bonded over BOC when we first met. We both had already had the tattoos, so that was kind of a special. It's always been a special thing for us. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and he's just always. He's such a badass musician, songwriter, provocateur. I mean, there's so many things I can say about this this cat. Um, but with all the respect in the world, he is he is just one of the true badasses in rock and roll. You know, absolutely. Hands and down. Um, just to be able to talk to him, and uh, you know, just to just to hear these stories and just to get a sense of him, man. You know, Eric Bloom doesn't take any shit, does he, Jack Slayton? No, 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 no. And uh, we wouldn't want him to. And uh, he's a badass and uh, such a good time talking to this guy. And uh, make sure you go down and check out his new their their newest record. The symbol remains. And uh, then just open up the catalog. And I mean, so many of these songs, so many of these, so many of these amazing songs are, are written and performed by Mr. Bloom himself. So uh, go down that rabbit hole and we'll have that chat coming up with you in just a few seconds Um, but first off we want to let you know as we do every episode that we will be have the live shows coming in september we'll have a date for that coming up soon um i know it's been a lot of not delays but we just needed to bring this cake out of the oven when it was done and we've had some crew members that you know were on the mend from some health issues and we got everybody back 100% now, so uh, Jack, you looking forward to that? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and we'll we'll have all the uh, ticket information and everything coming soon, and uh, we'll, we're looking forward to seeing you all out there, even the ones that uh, don't live here in town or around here, you know, you'll be able to um, tune in to the live stream, and of course, they'll be up the next day, so uh, we'll have all that information coming for you soon. Uh, but without uh, further delay, please welcome Mr. Eric Bloom of the Mighty Blue Oyster Cult. All righty, we are here with one of my absolute heroes, Mr. Eric Bloom from Blue Oyster Cult. What's up? <laughs> How you doing, sir? I'm doing okay. Uh, we came to the home of the June is off. Um, uh, Buck Dharma's 50th wedding anniversary. So that's the reason why we are off in June. Wow, 50 years. 50 years. Yeah. 
Well, you know, I want to get back to uh, Buck, but I definitely want to talk about the, the first thing I want to really talk about is the badass new newer came out. You know, it's been out for a little while now, some months, but the um, the newest Blue Oyster Cult album, The Symbol Remains, it is absolute. Um, I mean, just from the get the beginning, it's so amazing. Um, and I, I want to talk about that. The album just kicks off with a stomper, you know, a song you wrote, you know, that was me. And it just is so ferocious from the beginning. Can you tell us a little bit about the album and the, and the song? Oh gosh. Um, <laughs> well, it's, um, you know, I did a few interviews about this, so you could probably find a lot of info about it, but, um, yeah. Um, everybody chipped in, of course. You know, we made the decision, you know, sure, let's give it one more go. Let's see, how, you know, what happens. And I guess we were, you know, sort of dragged in. Let's, let's throw it one more time. And I guess everybody had a little bit of something to give. Uh, Richie had a whole bunch of material that he was sitting on. Um, um, Richie played me The Alchemist probably in a rent-a-car um, probably about five years ago. Now we're sitting here two years after uh, the album came out uh, as we're doing this podcast. So maybe it's at least five years ago he played me The Alchemist. as we're dry Richie and I traveled together mostly. So um, I think we're traveling in a rented car going from A to B, you know, between two gigs. And, uh, you know, it just knocked me out. And I said, wow, that's a great song. And I, I said, what are you doing with that? He says, I don't know, you know, just going to keep it in my pocket so i always remembered it so when it came time for um putting songs towards this project i said richie you know you gotta we gotta use that song so of course he was thrilled to put it towards um this uh new album and um he's pleased as as anything else to you know i think every time we played that song you know his uh you know his his meter goes to eleven. You know that he says he he he, he's, he gives, punches me in the arm. He says I can't believe Blue Oyster Cult is playing the Alchemist um, because um, I don't think he ever wrote it thinking that BOC was going to do right. that song. Um, because you know he's so prolific. He's working. Um, I mean, we could do this whole podcast just about Richie. I'm one of his biggest fans, and um, you know I. I can't say I discovered Richie, you know, because he's like his own entity, you know, he's like a shining star. And, um, but I sort of did, you know, and, um, we could do the whole podcast just about, uh, Richie himself. Absolutely. And uh, he's a character. And, um, um, back to your original question. Um, you know, Buck lives in Maryland. You know, I'm living in New York uh, at the time of the, of the uh, making of this record. So Ricky lives near me. Buck lives in Maryland. So um, getting together with Buck was not so easy. And, uh, for instance, the record before this, which was, you know, quite a while ago, uh, Buck was living in Ithaca at that time. So I was driving up to Ithaca, which is a three-hour drive from my house. So um, getting together to write um, the record before this was a, a little bit of a trial, but um, driving to Maryland to get together with Buck to co-write songs 
was a little more difficult and going to Richie's house was a lot easier. It was an hour drive. Mm-hmm. So, um, Basically, uh, I was going to Richie's house, or writing sex with Richie was a lot easier than getting to Buck's house and writing with Buck. So, um, you know, an anecdote I've told already was um, that was me, the writing of that was me. When we got serious about writing um, songs, um, I went to uh, Richie's house and I said, all right, here's some lyrics that were sent to us by John Shirley. Uh, which, as you know, and as um, a lot of BOC fans know, we've been writing songs with John Shirley for a number of years. And what happens is he sends us uh, emails, which we print out, and I might have nine or ten John Shirley lyrics and um, print it out or maybe in an envelope, a um, manila envelope. And we um, go through this stuff, and some of it you might like, some of it you might not. And the same goes back all the way to maybe Imaginos with Sandy Perlman lyrics, and some of them you might like and some of them you might not. And you might chop up stuff and say, well, this is the lyric for the verse and this is the lyric for the chorus. And you might switch things around and use part of this and add some of your own and uh, such as it is for songwriting. So um, we're going through this stuff in Richie's basement. And I said, well, let's try this song. That was me. So Richie looks at it, and this is um, just before COVID. And uh, Richie looks at it and says, you know, I think we worked on this before. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, that was me. He says, like about two years ago, I think we we worked on this song. I said, I I don't think so. He goes, yeah, yeah, we did. And I go, "I, I, I don't remember that at all. He says, hold on a second. And he's a lot more organized than I am. And we're in his basement. And he's, you know, got a real studio, which I do not. So um, he goes through his computer files. And um, he finds recording files. And he starts playing back me singing, that was me. And I said, is that me singing? He goes, yeah, that's you singing. And he says, we, we did this song already. And I said, and I said, that's not me singing. He said, yeah, that's you singing. And it was like half the song finished. And it was, it was, that was me. And it was everything except the bridge, which is that sort of reggae style bridge. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I said, well, we have the song done. He says, yeah, but we need a middle. And, and I said, well, let's work on that. So we we sort of got to that section. I said, well, this is cool. We have the song half written already. I said, I don't remember ever doing this. He goes, yeah, well, we, you know, he came over to my house a couple of years ago. We, we worked on this. I said, well, it's totally out of my head. I don't ever remember doing it, but this is great. So, um, so um, we sat down and said, what do you want to do in that middle section? I said, well, how about like a little... Uh, in the skiffle reggae section. He said, fine, let's do that. I said, well, okay, we'll play this. And he says, fine. And I said, well, how about a little James Brown thing? Like, dan, dan. He says, okay. So he says, playing that. So all of a sudden, we got something going. And like a half hour later, the song is finished. So I said, well, we got something here. So uh, he said, oh, chalk one up, you know. So um, we put down a fast demo. And the next time the band had a rehearsal, um, we had something to show everybody. So um, 
uh, the next time I went to Richie's house, you know, and things progressed. So um, I think we sent a demo of three songs, uh, which was um, The Alchemist and that song. And you have to refresh my memory because it was two years ago. What was the third song? The third song you um, wrote was uh, Tainted. Uh, it's an old it's a classic Blue Oyster Cult, like slow burn, uh, so bur- slow burn, tainted blood. Oh, oh tainted blood. Yeah, tainted blood, yeah. right. And um, and uh, that was that was um, that Richie and I wrote in a car, and um, and also um, the the um, the other song. Um, standard, I wrote, I wrote standard the fight. Stand and Fight. Yes. Also, yeah, Tainted Blood and Stand and Fight, um, Richie and I wrote o- over a period of time. I wrote the lyrics, or the beginning of the lyrics to Tainted Blood and Stand and Fight on an airplane. Um, Buck came over to me in the middle of this um, uh, fertile writing period, uh, the three or four months before we started rehearsing, um, where we had to come up with songs. And he came over to me before we boarded a flight and he says, you know, you know, we, we really need songs. And he says, before we even need music, we really need lyrics. So he just triggered something in me. And so I got on the plane. And sometimes when you're on a plane and you're just sitting there and you just close your eyes and just before you nod off, just stuff comes to you. Yeah. And I said, you know, what kind of songs do we need? And I thought about, you know, what would happen you know, if a vampire can live forever, you know, why would he ever want to die? You know, he can live forever anyway. Um, the only reason why a vampire would want to die is if he killed himself. He certainly wouldn't want to die for any other reason. So how about a tragic vampire song where he wants to kill himself? And the only reason why he would want to kill himself is if he is his love, uh, a blues song about a vampire. So um, that's how Tainted Blood came to me. So I wrote, you know, those four lines, which are in the pre-chorus. And um, I took that to Richie, and we fleshed that out between the two of us. And, um, you know, that was my donation to that song and that melody. Um, And then Richie and I fleshed that out, actually, mostly in a rental car. And uh, we were driving in New England together. And, and um, I think uh, on our way from Boston Airport up to somewhere in Vermont or something, and I said, you know, let's work on that song. So I was driving, and he took his laptop out. And uh, as I'm driving, I was, you know, we just worked on the song. He had his laptop open, and uh, we were driving together. And um, so that's literally how that song got fleshed out with me driving and him we bounced ideas between the two of us and he was typing and I was driving. So such is the way songs are written. Yeah. How, how many songs do you think over the years you've written in planes and in cars? I mean, just, just things. I, I, you know, there's no answer to those questions. Yeah. Um, I mean, I wrote, take me away in my basement. Um, um, Alden over just gave me a tape of um, basically Take Me Away was another song. And he gave me a cassette and he said, you know, here's a song I wrote for my album, his first album, I think. I don't know if it was his first or second album. And he said, um, 
uh, here's the song. Everybody likes the music and nobody likes the lyrics. It was about a psycho killer. Yeah. And, and, and he said, um, everybody hates the lyrics and they like the music. He says, so see what you can do with it. So I took it home and he was absolutely right. You know, the music was great and the lyrics uh, detracted from the track. So I just saw him the next day and I said, can you give me just the track? So he gave me, you know, another version of it, but just blank without just the, he gave me just the music, just the track. So I took out a yellow pad in my basement and sang on the, sat on the floor and um, rewrote it as Take Me Away, um, just coming up with stances of, you know, what it is now. Um, and brought that into our rehearsal the next day as Take Me Away instead of whatever the Psycho Killer lyrics were. Yeah. And we happened to be been writing that record at that time. And uh, such as uh, what we know now is Take Me Away. You know, and that was just an overnight rewrite. Uh, that's I'm glad you brought that song up because that song just it just ages like fine wine so well. It's such a stomper. It's just a scorcher. Um, and the lyrics have that mystery to it that is, it, it, you know, it goes along with the video. There's like nine movies in that one insane video you guys put out for that. Uh, what do you remember about that shoot for that? Uh, well, um, that, you know, we never have much say in those videos, you know, um, back in those days, either, you know, I can't remember whose hands we put it in, you know, the management hires some video maker and we, we just gave, you know, you know, you guys have the budget, you know, it's our money, but they, they, um, they find a budget from somewhere and they hire a video director and I guess they get a budget from the record company. And, of course, we always wind up having to pay it back from our royalties. Yeah. Um, that's all, um, you know, budget mumbo-jumbo that we wind up having to pay out of uh, record sales. But that's not what this podcast is about. Um, but believe me, we wind up paying for it in the long run. It's about whatever um, you want it to be about, sir. You can talk about whatever you yeah. want. Yeah. Well, I'm just telling you, you know, yep. the video videos – Video budgets are never free. Mm -hmm. So um, we wound up to doing that, you know, in one night. In the, all, our, all our videos are done in, um, you know, X number of hours in one day. It's not, not uh, a Michael Jackson, you know, uh, you know many day thing, uh, many day affair. Um, it's like all done as cheaply and as fast as we possibly can. Like the two videos we did, uh, you know, Joan Crawford and, uh, and, uh, um, burning, burning for you. For you. We're, all, we're all done in 24 hours with no sleep. Wow. Um, but the, um, which were really our first two videos. Uh, but the um, Take Me Away was done in LA. Um, I can't remember the exact locations, but um, it was done in like a waterworks somewhere, somewhere out in LA, just outside of LA. They found a, uh, um, you know, some tubular looking place, you know, yeah. where, where uh, it was like, a you know, some underground um, waterworks where uh, we were allowed to, you know, I, I there's a scene where they have the rented old Thunderbird that me and some model they hired, some girl they could get, you know, I don't know, she was a, a quote unquote actress, right. you know, that, that plays my girlfriend. And, um, 
and um, we went out into the desert somewhere, and I'm driving this front of car. And uh, then we did the, uh, the underground location, um, some you know some waterworks that they rented for a few hours. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I love your vocal on that song. It's amazing. Um, I want to get back. I want to go back a little bit. If if you'd paint a picture for our listeners, um, what was it like coming up in uh, as a musician in New York City back then? I never was in New York City. I started in um, upstate New York. Right. Well, what? Surely you were around. Did you ever go into the city and 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 see that scene that was developing there? You know, I started as a college student playing in bar bands. Yeah. You know, I never was really part of a New York City scene. Like, you know, a lot of people like went to New York City and beat their brains up trying to play CBGBs or. You know the club scene in new york i never had to do that right on right on um well what what does it mean if you take me back can you what do you remember about the first time you met donald uh, uh but you know buck dharma but what do you remember about that first meeting of, of you two we, we met in a music store mm-hmm. and uh you know we really didn't meet per se you know i you know it's an old story how we met in the music store and um, you know, I'm, you know, the story's been told a million ways. It's the same as the cowbell story because everybody says, "No, I played cowbell. No, I played cowbell." You know, so nobody remembers it straight anymore. But um, <laughs> um, the um, the way I remember the meeting was, I was working at Sam Ash in Hempstead, New York, which is no longer open. Uh, I was working at Sam Ash, which, uh, you know, we don't have enough time to tell the whole story. But um, I, in 1968, moved to um, Long Island, New York, from upstate New York to take a job as an agent. Um, And when I moved down to New York, that agency job disappeared because the bands I was supposed to work as a trainee in in the agency fell through because the two bands I was supposed to work with um, did not get their visa permissions. It was the crazy world of Arthur Brown and Brian Orker and Julie Driscoll. And uh, at least that's what I was told. You know, I, I have no idea if that was really true. But when I called that agency, um, his premier talent in New York, they said those bands could not get their visas and your job no longer exists. So sorry, we can't hire you. So the same day, I went to um, St. Ash, where I'd been buying instruments as a band member. Um, and I asked for a job, and they gave me a trainee position for all of $76 a week, which was a take-home salary of $52 a week. So, um, of course, this is $1968. I don't know what that translates to uh, in 22 uh, in $2,022, but still can't be very much. Yeah. yeah. But um, I took the job because I was um, living with family and um, I had a 19, uh, 1953 uh, Ford and um, I could uh, go back and forth, and um, which was my first car. And um, I could uh, go back and forth from my sister's house and take that job and still crash on her couch and uh, afford to live that way. Yeah. And um, took the job and I was working there maybe 
10 days. And um, Soft White Underbelly walked in to buy amps with their advance from Electro Records. So such was a fateful day or we would not be talking today. So um, to say who was in that gang of guys from the band, the Winters was there. And I believe it was Andrew who noticed the picture of Lost and Found on the wall, which I put there in Sam Ash uh, with other bands um, um, that were, like most music stores, they have pictures of bands on the wall, 8 by 10 glossies. So I had put that picture on the wall without the Sam Ash people knowing about it. And um, I believe it was Andrew who noticed the picture on the wall, and he said, Oh, I, I know those guys. And I said, which guys is that? And he pointed the picture of Lost and Found on the wall. And I said, well, that's me. And he says, what do you mean that's you? I said, well, that's me in that band. And he says, well, our singer knows the guys in that band. I said, well, who's your singer? And he said, Les Bronstein. And I said, well, I went to school with Les Bronstein. So that was the instant connection. Yeah, yeah. So, and that's how the beginning of all these fateful connections began right right well there's always been a mystery you guys have maintained that 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 i just think is so cool with the lyrics the way you pre the way the band was always presented i think it really separates you from any of your uh contemporaries in a lot of ways um What's next for Blue Oyster Cult? Uh, we're gonna let you get out of here, but what? What's what? Do you see some? Do you see more records or just more touring? Um, I don't think we're planning on many, making anything new. Of course, um, we have these three nights in New York coming up, which is um, as we speak now. It looks like all three nights are gonna sell out. Um, Thank God. Yeah, um, um, I looked at it the other day because I, I have a friend of mine um, who wants to go to the third night, and I looked at it for him, and it looks like it's selling out. The third night is selling out. There were no tickets for sale. So uh, I got in touch with our management, and I said, how come there's no tickets for sale on the third night? And he looked at the ticket master, and he says, there's eight seats left. So... Um, there's only 500 seats per night, so um, it's not that big a venue. So um, I, you know, I don't, I don't know anything about. That's not my area about you know ticket sales and ticket prices and those things. Uh, but um, this uh, little venture of the three nights and the three records, one per night, and the, you know, we're just in the creative part of that now and discussing what we're going to play and how we're going to play it and who's going to sit in and all that is all in the creative part now as we're discussing it. And uh, we hope to have a few surprises. So um, we're going to uh, do our best to uh, make the whole three-day three, three day thing kind of special. And um, But apparently all three nights are going to sell out and um, maybe there'll be some standing room. And... Um, of course, we do hope uh, we're looking into taping it. We do hope to have it be a special, you know, package of some kind. Um, I, I don't really know the uh, logistics of that and how how it's going to be uh, 
package and who is going to, you know, how it's going to be for sale or whatever, but we hope to have that. Right, right. Well, I just want to thank you for all your time and speaking with us here on the podcast today and all the great music over the years. Any last question? Um, well, anything you want to plug, where's the best place for people to get and uh, find out all the information about Blue Oyster Cult they need to? Well, everybody knows that. It's uh, blueoystercult.com. And uh, we want to uh, send out a special uh, get well to Bully Gregmar. Uh, could you say that again, please? Uh, Boldy Gregmar. He's uh, unfortunately been ill. Okay. And, uh, you know, he was the... Uh, you know, the head of our fan club for many, many years. And I guess any of your listeners who know Boldy, you know, he's uh, unfortunately fell ill. Wow. We'll make sure that uh, everybody knows that out there. Um, thank you so much. I want to thank the true rock and roll legend that is Eric Bloom from Blue Oyster Cult for appearing on the Ratio podcast. Um, what a fun chat with that guy. And hopefully we'll have him back in the future for future chats so um that's it for our show this week stay switched on and we will talk to you soon